Yes, friends, on a Wednesday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast where I and Andy are your hosts. Adam Armbrecht, of course, covering the Brooklyn Nets on the Lockdown Nets podcast history, my friends. A 60-point performance last night from Kyrie Irving against Orlando. Season generational ticket holder over there, enjoying the warm weather, I'm sure, and healthy, wealthy, and wise as we are hours away from the official beginning of NFL free agency after uh, legal tampering is complete. Well, that kind of bleeds into where my head is at right now. I, you know, Adam daylight savings time came and went over the weekend, lost, lost an hour of sleep. If anyone that has a kid under the age of four or five, you know that that's like a nightmare when it comes to what time they're going to wake up. I still haven't been able to catch up, man. Like I'm still, I'm tired at like eight 9 o'clock at night. Like usually I'm up until 10, 10 30. Like I'm, I'm out cold earlier and earlier right now. So it's either old age or daylight savings time. Well, it can be a little column, a little column B there. But listen, man, I forgot that it was happening. Woke up over the weekend, was like, boy, it doesn't feel like it should be this tired here. And then all it takes is a couple of late nights watching the Nets, staying up, enjoying a TV show with Courtney. And there you go. Cut to here I am. Do you know that uh, the Senate just passed uh, a bill to have permanent daylight savings time. So they would change this like whole thing. If it passes in the house, no more changing the clocks forward and back. Just leave it as it is. I always say, as long as you do it within 60 or 70 years of when would have been the appropriate time to change something, I'm all good. So fingers crossed, big business happening in the background. In the meantime, though, legal tampering period. I don't know what Giants fans or expectations were coming into this time frame for the New York football Giants. Obviously, we know Joe Shane working towards freeing up that illustrious goal of $40 million in cap room. He worked his way north of 20. And in the first wave, well, I should say, in the first wave, the Giants did nothing and waited for a minute yesterday in the legal tampering period, but then still picked up a handful of players here that I think really address some key areas of need and also represent where expectations should have been bringing in quality players, improving the floor of this team, the talent level on this roster, and just making sure that when you go into the draft, you have some of these pieces in place. And we start on the offensive line, Andy, we're obviously a not so surprising. And then maybe just a little bit kind of out of left field here, John Feliciano familiarity with the offensive line coach from not only the Raiders and then through Buffalo with the bills. He joins the team on a one year deal and then Mark Lewinsky, three-year, $20 million with $11 million guaranteed from the Colts to come in and play guard. Your initial thoughts on the way Joe Shane and the Giants try to improve this offensive line play, specifically on the interior? Well, Adam, look, we, we knew that they weren't going to make any big splashes just because they don't have the cap space, right? Like, you know, they 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 braced all – that that was a great move by Joe Shane and, and Brian Dable, like – some people are like, oh, the cap can always be manipulated. We're always going to be in play for big-time players. The the Giants and Joe Shane came out and were like, we don't have the money. We will not be players. Do not set your fan base up for failure in terms of expectations. And so, you know, w- you know, we tweeted out, basically, we knew it was going to be slow, but is it like this slow? Like, I thought we were going to, like, nibble around the edges of free agency. And then you start seeing the, the couple deals come in, two noteworthy ones on the offensive line. You know, Lewinsky from from the Colts uh, played guard there, was part of the offensive line for Jonathan Taylor, who had his historic year this year. And and McEnoe, who, well, McEnoe got signed earlier, and, and uh, John Feliciano, yeah. who got released from Buffalo, kind of played guard, played played a little bit at center, played left guard, right guard, 
it sounds like, you know, the, the most surprising thing about the John Feliciano deal, Adam, is that he's slated to play center, signaling that Nick Gates must be really, really far away from being able to, to be back healthy and competing again. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, uh, on the Nick Gates piece of it, first of all, as, as John Feliciano said on social media, right, I, I was stuck playing behind guys making $11 million for, you know, for multiple years. Now I finally get to show what I'm capable of. And, and that indicates to me that that conversation maybe potentially between the Giants and, and Feliciano was, hey, you come in, you're, you're plugged in. You're going to get a year here to reset the market and maybe get yourself one reasonable size payday at 30, 31 years old next offseason. Um, but when it comes to Nick Gates, remember, he's got a pretty big you know, cap relief here of $2.5 million, and the dead cap is under a million, close to $750,000, 800000 So don't be surprised if he can still be one of those players. Now we've seen, obviously, Joe Shane when it comes to Shepard, when it comes to Blake Martinez. He's restructured guys that are injured and looking to make their way back. Maybe that's something that they'll do with Nick Gates. But at the very least, to your point, Gates is coming off of a near career threatening injury. So I don't think you could come into this year with any expectation that he was going to be the man starting at center. I do find it, I think, comforting that you bring in a guy like Feliciano who can play center because now immediately as we talk about what do you else do you want to accomplish in free agency? What do you want to accomplish in the draft? Feliciano now represents a guy who's played both on the played across the interior is going to play at center for the giants and just, alleviates the pressure of saying, do we need to trade back in the first round and get Linderbaum, you know, at 13 or 14? What if we can't trade back? Do we take Linderbaum at seven? I mean, that's something that, you know, we wouldn't anticipate the Giants doing, but expectations of when you need to take the long-term player now gets a little bit lightened, I think, from a Giants perspective where you get to say, as long as we take someone maybe in this draft, we can go ahead and develop them over the course of this year and prepare for them to be the young player going into next season. So smart play there. And then likewise for Glowinski as well, right? Yeah. Well, you know, the giants want to get to a point as close as they can to being able to take the best player available available in the draft right now. There are so many holes across the offensive line that these moves don't actually put us out of the running for any offensive lineman with the five, five or seven pick. In fact, I actually think it speaks more that we will be taking an offensive tackle at five or seven knowing that we're shoring up a center position, a guard position will probably end up filling in um, another guard, maybe later in the draft or a guard that sits on the market for quite a while. But that right offensive tackle position for the giants is a glaring hole that more and more with what's been going on around the league. um, It looks like the giants are going to be able to get one of them. I I will say uh, on Glowinski, I really like the contract structure and we're going to be saying this a lot because we're so frustrated when we saw all the, all the deals that, Dave Gettleman did. We're like, Jonathan Stewart, like $6 million. Like, what are we, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. At least, you know, Devontae Booker, you know, I was a big um, pessimist on, on that side just because of how much money you're giving, giving uh, the backup running back to Saquon. Glowinski's contract is nice because it's 11 million guaranteed. It's basically a two year deal. You can move off of him after two years and have very minimal cap ramifications, but he's been a serviceable guard, had a 70 pro football focus at, at the guard position. And he will look significantly better than Will Hernandez has ever looked in in a Giants uniform. You can bet on that. Oh, of course. And and to your point about the draft, I think, you know, listen, you can still take offensive line. I mean, obviously, tackle being one that you're going to take at the top of the draft. But now instead of saying, well, you know, we have five and seven. Now, what about the top of the second round? You can go, you know what? 
69, 79, if the right player is there. Parnum out of Memphis has been around there in a lot of these mock drafts. There's another uh, Slayler out of uh, out of uh, Georgia could be in there who played a tackle and is going to kick inside interior as well. He'll project. All of a sudden, you can say, here's nice prospects that we can bring in in the middle rounds as opposed to feeling compelled to spend two out of our first three draft picks on the offensive line. So I love that piece of it, and I love the structure, as you say, of this contract because you don't want to be sitting here in three years, the three-year deal. But you don't want to be sitting here after two years even and say, well, now all we have is another, you know, eight, nine million on the books for a 31, 32-year-old guard. He'll probably end up being a backup. Maybe we'll cut him. What's the dead cap going to look like? No, the guaranteed money is there. In two years' time, if you're doing it right, you'll already have the replacement on the roster. And you get to say, hey, Glowinski, thanks for being a part of this period for the New York football giants and helping us turn over to a new successful era. Enjoy your time in, in retirement. Enjoy your next contract, whatever it looks like. And that's the beauty of the way Joe Shane has been structuring these contracts as we go, go ahead before we turn our attention, obviously, to the quarterback position. That, well, this will feed into the quarterback situation, but yeah, right. the, the Glinski being a multi-year deal at a reasonable number, it's also interesting because what it does, Adam, is it says we won't have to go out in free agency next year when we have money to address the guard position because we've already done it this year. So it's it's one of those things where as we start building this team up and we start getting assets and capital across the offensive line, there's less glaring needs. So next year, when there are big free agents on the market and we want to make a splash at a bigger impact position than guard, we can actually allocate more funds towards that, knowing that we at least have a solid guard, like a, a replacement level guard, which we didn't even have on the roster last year. Not to mention, uh, you know, Shane Lemieux is a big part of it. We say new regime, fifth-round pick, no guarantees there, coming off injury as well. This does also, I think, reset the assessment timetable on him. Now, all of a sudden, you can come in here. Can he compete at left guard? Obviously, yes, right? But now you can go into the draft, see what's available for you, and you feel a lot better, to your point, of having Andrew Thomas with Shane Lemieux, Feliciano, and Glowinski, and whoever you bring in at right tackle. Well, you could deal with maybe some lumps here if, if Lemieux comes back healthy and is still developing. You couldn't do that when you had John Q. Random at center, you know, price there. When you had Will Hernandez at guard, like you can't sit there saying, well, we have four question marks, but that's okay. Now you can look at it and say, potentially, if you take care of the tackle at the top of the draft, we only really have one question mark here in the short term on this roster on the offensive line. It's Lemieux. Let's see how he plays and go forward from there. Turning our attention over to the quarterback spot here, obviously, a lot of fans, this podcast included, spent a lot of time talking about Mitchell Trubisky. He ended up signing the incentive-heavy deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a baseline, $14 million, can go all the way up to $17, uh, $27 million, excuse me, over the next two seasons if he performs to a high level. So the Giants turn their attention to, come on, the guy I've been talking about for three years, Tyrod Taylor. Do we think that he is a not only the better option at the quarterback spot, also at a better price and arguably the best quarterback on the market that the Giants could afford who can also come in and legitimately push Daniel Jones in camp. Well, so let, let's talk a little bit about the contract details first because the, the, oh, what, order the, freak, of, out, the freak outs the fans yeah, wanted to have over, the, <laughs> over the sequence there. of events and like everyone walking themselves back from the plank. Right. Like I think, I think is noteworthy, you know, it, you know, Adam Schefter, Dan Rappaport, uh, Ian Rappaport, a couple, a couple different people reported um, the Tyrod Taylor signing. And it first came out as a two year, $17 million deal. And, you know, I've, I've looked at a bunch of people on Twitter and they've said, never, ever, ever look at the first number. 
because the first number is tweeted out by the agent to these beat writers and media people to yeah, be able yeah. to like show how great they did for their client. Right. So like, don't have the knee jerk reaction, which a lot of people did. They're like, Whoa, way too much overpay overkill. Like, I can't believe it. It's the end of Daniel Jones. As we know it today, like could stick a fork in him. He's completely done. Then the details start rolling in a little bit. It's, you know, Five and a half million dollars a year annually, eight and a half million dollars fully guaranteed. So basically a year and a half is guaranteed on the contract. The only way that he gets to 17 million is if he, he is the starter and plays a significant amount of reps, which the Giants would be happy to pay him if he ends up being the starter for eight, 10, 15 games this season due to injury or something happening to Daniel Jones. So, you know, I think everyone took a step back and said a two year deal for about $11 million. It's a little bit pricey for a backup quarterback, but guess what? We don't have Patrick Mahomes. We don't have Justin Herbert. We don't have one of these like transcendent quarterbacks that like generally stays on the field that you can pay a million dollars to that. Like if your season's done, you know, it's, it's a wash anyway. If that guy goes out, the giants needed to pay up after watching Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm perform the way that they did. And, sure. and so this to me, is a great deal for the Giants. Five and a half million, probably a little bit more than you want to spend, but we said we'd spend up to seven for Mitch Trubisky. And to your point, Adam, you've been talking about Tyrod Taylor potentially being better than Mitch Trubisky and getting him for cheaper than Mitch went to the Steelers for. Oh, of course. Yeah, he, listen, Tyrod Taylor has always been, listen, he's not an elite NFL quarterback. We all know that, but he's a guy that doesn't make mistakes. Now, the the drawback to it is in games when you have a chance to go win it, he may not be willing to commit to the big play where potentially a turnover could come and it could cost you the game. But he he is a as sound an NFL quarterback as you could possibly have. And think back, remember, he was brought in by the Chargers to be the starter before having an unfortunate incident where he was getting an injection and it ended up affecting his health and he had to effectively lost the job before he had a chance really to perform at it. And then Justin Herbert took over and he started to go on his run and we know how good he's been, but he's that that's how recently removed he is from being a viable starting NFL quarterback. Now he's in his thirties and I don't expect him to light the world on fire, but even to your point, when the money first came out and everyone said, well, you can stick a fork in Daniel Jones. He's done. Obviously, the numbers make you realize he's a few million dollars behind Daniel Jones in terms of contract. But it, to me, it's still it's still worth saying Tyrod Taylor is going to be able to come in and show what he is capable of doing. And Joe Shane and Brian Dable are not going to automatically hand the starting quarterback job to Daniel Jones. It doesn't mean that in the hierarchy of that of that locker room, Daniel Jones is clearly the number one choice you want to start the season. But if he can't perform in camp, if the injury is nagging with him with the neck and he's not going to be ready for the start of the season, Tyrod Taylor can take the reins of this quarterback position and at least get himself a leg up over the course of the offseason. Like, I think this is just the reality that Giants fans have to live with. It'd be the same thing if you brought in Mitchell Trubisky at the same exact number or up to $7 million, right? Like, this is still going to be, you know, Whatever degree, I don't know if you want to put percentages on it. It's an open competition at quarterback, in my opinion. That's at least how that's at least how camp is going to start. Now, if it takes all but one practice for Daniel Jones to be like, okay, guys, I'm going to take this thing. I'm going to get my shot this year. I want to be a part of this organization going forward. That could be a very simple done deal. But Tyrod Taylor has been around the NFL. It's not going to take him a long time to understand what his expectations are in this system and to be able to play it at a very high level for what he is 
immediately coming into the team. So, so you and I have a little bit of a different perspective on this. You are looking at uh, this deal in year one and what it means for the Giants and how you know you, Tyrod Taylor is going to push Daniel Jones. He may have an opportunity to to compete for the starting job this offseason. I, I see it a little bit differently. Um, the way that I'm seeing this is Daniel Jones is the starter. They're worried about injury more than anything else, and they feel like the NFC East is gettable. That's 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 the first thing that that comes to my mind. The second piece of it is actually more important, and that is that it's a two-year deal. And basically what the Giants are saying is, look, if Daniel Jones is the guy and comes out and sets the world on fire and he's what we think he could be, then we're happy to franchise tag him, try to work out a long-term deal, and pay the money that you pay for a top 10 to 15 quarterback in the league. If we don't have our guy and Daniel Jones isn't the guy, we can move off of him clean. He gets to be a free agent. and our Backup insurance policy is Tyrod Taylor on a one-year, $5.5 million deal. So we're not left in no man's land purgatory being like, we have to go out and do something. They at least have some stability and can either pivot and sign a marquee free agent, or they can go into the draft and draft the quarterback of the future. So for me, this screams year two protection and insurance. Let's not be caught with like our hands in our pockets when something goes wrong. Let's have contingency plans along the way in case something happens. And that could be injury this year, or more importantly, Daniel Jones isn't the guy after this year. Well, and that's, and that's where I, you know, from the back, from the back to the front here, go $17 million guarantee, you know, all in, if you pay him the full length of the contract and he meets expectations next year, Tyrod Taylor can be starting the starting for the New York football giants while you wait for your rookie quarterback to be ready to take over. Right. Like, right. It, it, it's it, only- it much yeah. And, and, you, and you'd be paying, what, $8.5 million max in that year? And if you're saying, well, how much would you pay to have a veteran like Tyrod Taylor start the first four games of the season or eight games of the season while a, a young QB is learning? Even to have that option when you draft a young quarterback is worth the money in and of itself. So, like, to me, they could, if they need to free up the cap space after year one and Daniel Jones looks amazing and we have our franchise guy, they'll be happy to cut Tyrod Taylor, save $4 million and go sign a backup for 1 million, right? Like, like this is a whole idea of if Daniel Jones is the guy, we're willing to pay this insurance money, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. And listen, if Daniel, even if Daniel Jones was the guy paying Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor next year to be your veteran backup at that, at that price point, isn't even that much. And you're going to have the money to afford to do so. I just, if I'm, if I was reading the tea leaves, I'd be saying you brought in a veteran quarterback a year ahead of time. So he's already in place next year. When you go to get your quarterback, I still think, that all of this is indicative that the New York football giants are not as high internally, John Mara maybe aside, on Daniel Jones in the grand scheme of things as they alluded to in their initial remarks. That being said, though, the bottom line is you have a, a, a valuable veteran presence at quarterback, someone you know can start NFL games for you, whether it's injury or otherwise for the New York football giants, something they haven't had there in a number of years. This is a better player than Colt McCoy, right? Like even, even when we thought it was at least respectable, this is even an improvement from there. So it's a smart move from the New York football giants. And as we move along in the free agent period, go ahead. As we talk about the more last, free agency. And just, the last yeah. thing I was going to say is this signing for any giant fan that was wondering removes us from drafting a quarterback in the first round. I, I legitimately believe it does because when Joe Shane thinks about draft capital and assets and spreading them around, he can't put that much capital into the quarterback room uh, in his first go around. Like to me, this is a surefire sign that says we're going to go see what we have with Daniel Jones. We have a capable backup, and if it doesn't work out, we've still got the capable backup, and we'll draft someone next year. 
Okay, so talking about free agency and the draft impact, let's just touch on that for a second. Like, I, I agree with you that the Giants aren't going to take a first round, a first round quarterback. You know, I'll say almost obviously, but we, we said this the other day because James Bradbury now has a big deadline time today when the Giants are going to have to commit an additional two million dollars to him. It becomes guaranteed if he's still on the roster. But you said the other day about like how much money you lock into a given position. I don't, I don't know if you can. Think about it like that without associating what it looks like the year after. So, like, and I'll use quarterback, a cornerback as the example, not quarterback, because we know it was not so likely they were going to go quarterback anyway, even less likely now. But in the, in the world where James Bradbury couldn't get moved on from, let's say, and the Giants went into the season with him thinking maybe we can move off of him at some point, if that were the weird scenario that played out. And then at the top of the draft, Sauce Gardner was there and they really liked him and they took him. You'd be talking about investing five or six million on a rookie deal for him, plus the money on a Dory Jackson, plus James Bradbury. You'd be saying, man, we're investing over 20, 25 million, 30 million into our cornerback room. Like, that's insane. We can't, like, we can't do that. And yet, one year from now, when James Bradbury is gone and you're just investing the rookie contract and a Dory Jackson's money, it balances itself back out. Like, I don't think that you necessarily can look at these positions and the amount of money being invested in this first year of the Joe Shane regime, the same way that you would look at it in year two, where he's had another off season to figure some things out, to adjust the market, to move some pieces around the board. Like I agree on the premise. You can't put too much into one position, but also it's hard not to make sound choices for this team in the long term when you've been handcuffed at some spots, right? Like, so can't allow the sins of Dave Gettleman to impact what Joe Shane tries to do here. If that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, it's, it's hard because this is year one. So he didn't, he inherited this team with this salary cap situation with these players on certain types of contracts. And so he'll, he'll maybe say, it's going to take me a year to get what I want. And maybe I don't want James Bradbury on here, but I really like sauce Gardner and he'll be here for around five to seven years. I can stomach it in year one. You you do have a very fair point there that he has to transition kind of the team to his mold and his shaping of what it could be. Giants would get younger in one second when they get Sauce Gardner and remove Bradbury by about seven years. Right. So that would be a big move. To to me, you know, th- there's a there's a few different impacts uh, of, of what's gone on so far. One is we are still in line for an edge rusher at five or seven. Like it feels like it's oh, I'm I'm almost more certain that we're going to take an edge rusher at five or seven than I am an offensive lineman at this point. Like, bec- because we haven't addressed it at all. Like Lorenzo Carter, n- not a single peep on what's going on with Lorenzo Carter. Jabril Peppers, yeah. I know he plays safety, but he comes up in the box, would be great adding pressure into Wing Martindale's system. Not a peep of what's going on with him. The Giants have not addressed edge rusher at all, someone that can get to the quarterback. It is a huge deficiency and usually one that costs – premio dollars in, in, in free agency, the giants are going to have to spend draft capital on an edge rusher. I am almost convinced now it's going to be a five or seven. Yeah. It's a good point that you bring up. I know that a lot of people have been high on sauce Gardner of late, but I do think that what happens here, specifically on James Bradbury, you're waiting for this first wave. We know they'd like to avoid adding in that $2 million hit here. That's going to cash in today. If they don't get off of his contract, be interesting to see what teams hit on cornerbacks early in the tampering period. And then whether or not the giants can find one of the, you know, proverbial missed out parties and say, Hey, we have a viable option here. Let's get a deal done because I, again, I keep coming back to Joe Shane does not want to have to turn around and simply cut or release 
James Bradbury and deal with that nine plus million dollar dead cap hit number get you yes you get the cap relief but I think kind of to both of our points here where could you spend that money maybe it would be an edge rusher in free agency but I I just don't think that they're as concerned about what they can add in free agency this year as they are about not damaging what they can do going forward so it's a very interesting circumstance that, that, that comes out there and to and to your point about the draft when you look over this I just see it as the offensive line is obviously Address address number one when you get to five or at seven. And hopefully Aquanu's there. That's been our first choice. Some scenarios here where it's Neil, that's great. Be interesting to see if it was Cross, someone that, at least for me personally, I've been out on as far as drafting that high in the draft class. But when you move down the list and we talk about who you could take at the top of the draft versus later, cornerback is a very deep position in this draft class. And I just think that the giants might be doing themselves a disservice. If you or giants fans fell in love with sauce Gardner, who I really like, and I love the length, but when I've been running through some of those mock drafts, Martin Emerson who's a cornerback out of Mississippi state is a guy that has length and has strength. And you can go and take in the third round with a 69th pick. You can maybe even get him at the 79th pick. And this is the, the manipulation that Joe Shane is trying to do between the offseason and the draft, right? How do I check all, you know, as many boxes? I can't check them all. How do I check as many as possible? And to your point, you can't go on free agency and just pick up a, you know, elite pass rusher. And that's what the Giants need so badly here. Maybe some guys from the Baltimore Ravens will pop up onto the radar here on low cost veteran minimum kind of deals. But at the top of the draft, if you get Thibodeau, who I know you're a big fan of, if he gets taken, I think Walker needs to be a viable option at five or seven there. Suddenly you leave the first round. If you can't perform a trade back opportunity either, offensive lineman, edge rusher, and you've checked two of those key boxes knowing the work you've done in free agency. Adam, think think of it this way. And, th- and this is how I've been doing it in my mind. And I'm hoping that, you know, after Joe Shane stole the Tyrod Taylor idea from us, that maybe he's listening right now. When you think about if you were to lose James Bradbury and trade him for a fifth round pick, the, the, the hot street is that there is a standing offer from the Raiders of a fifth round pick for James Bradbury. And they're saying, go try to beat it on the open market. If you can beat right. it, great. If not, we're here for you. We'd love to have James Bradbury on the team. So let's just say James Bradbury has gone for a fifth round pick. Do we have players in-house that might be able to give us 80 cents on the dollar to James Bradbury? Potentially. I'd like to think so. Right. You have Aaron Robinson. You have Rodarius Williams, who they liked before he got hurt. It's a little high, but yeah. Well, okay. So say 75 cents on the dollar, right? <laughs> the way Give me back a nickel. Give me back a nickel. The, okay. So whether it's 60%, 80%, whatever the number is, I think we have some players in-house that could fill in in a pinch. Sure. We talk about Darnay Holmes is still on this roster. Julian Love can throw in in a pinch. Talk about Aaron Robinson, Rodarius Williams. Fine. Who is rushing the passer for the Giants today? on the roster. Yeah. And I know that that's the point. There isn't, doesn't exist. We, we I mean, literally Aziz have Ojolari, but it doesn't exist. Right. Aziz Ojolari is there, but who's the other person on the other side? Like you're like, Oh, well, Lorenzo Carter. Oh, Kyler Fackrell. Like we don't even have one of those guys on the roster right now. There is like a beaconing light that is screaming to say, we have to address that position. Now, if, if I've been a huge fan of Justin Houston coming over from Baltimore, like you said, would be a yeah. coup. Worked with Wing Martindale before. Maybe he wants to do one more go with him. You know, obviously Calais Campbell's going to be very expensive. Plays a little bit of a different position in, in the interior, but both those guys would be tremendous for us. But that's th- those guys are going to cost seven, eight, maybe ten million dollars, which the Giants just don't have. 
they have to spend money on someone like Trayvon Walker or Kayvon Thibodeau in terms of draft capital. Like they have to do it. Here's the one thing. Yeah. So here's the one thing I'll say too. It's obviously a big glaring need. You obviously want to go into the draft and address it. And at the same time, something that we said about how, and I, and for the most part, we, we agree. You don't necessarily want to be taking a safety high in the draft class, or you don't want to be looking at certain positions, right? You don't want to be overvalued. We're not going to take a, a running back. Uh, but I, that the have to piece is the one part that I think we still want to be careful with, with any of these, any of these opportunities, because what happens if Equonu and Neil are both gone by the time you get there at five? Does it mean that a player like Thibodeau is on the board for you? Yes. But does that change the way Joe Shane looks at the draft and says, we're not going to get the elite tackle that we wanted at the top of the draft. What, what should we do here now? We can still take him at five. Thibodeau if we want to we can then move down from seven and get additional assets but but the process is is evolving every single day and I think to your point if you bring in a veteran that has familiarity with the system it at least eases that pressure a little bit and then what you start to look at and this is what I want to actually I will close out on this because by the way by and large I agree with you and when you're there at five and seven we know what needs to get accomplished here we want to see it get done but the thing that I keep coming back to in these mock draft scenarios is if at five or seven, you can trade back there to the middle middle of the first round into the teens and find a way to pick up a first rounder in next year's draft class, what you do is set yourself up for a different version of success than the Chicago Bears went through this past year. They traded up with us to get their quarterback in Justin Fields. Where are they now? Zero first round picks in the first round of the NFL draft. If you can get enough stockpiled assets, you can go pursue the player you want next year and that following draft not be handcuffed without having capital in every single round, especially at the top end of the draft. So in one of these trade down scenarios, and we can flesh that out before the draft comes, I did want to ask you, though, how viable is a player like the like a like a linebacker on the inside like Lloyd? Would you be like what what is your. You know cost reward value chart on saying what if you got a quono at five traded back from seven and picked up a sideline to sideline linebacker in the teens there while picking up a drift additional draft assets can you afford to pause for the first round on an edge rusher and go get a player that would be the anchor of this defense you know where blake martinez is etc cetera, etc cetera. that's a key area of need for the new york football giants as well could you get behind that or do you feel like if Thibodeau slash Walker is there. And if Neil slash Okwonu is there, that's what you do at five and seven. You don't bother with trade downs and you worry about that algorithm the next year when you need a quarterback. Uh, I will say this. Good question. It, uh, yeah, it's a very loaded question. I am okay with trading back one of those picks, five or seven, if we can still keep our first round pick this year, albeit later in, in the first round. I think we have so many holes that we need to address, but picking up extra assets, extra draft capital, as you mentioned, would be would be a nice nice win, especially as you're looking to rebuild. You're not competing, you know, this year for for a title potentially. My my only problem is I just don't think an inside linebacker is is really the number one need. And g granted, with the rest of free agency, we're going to see things kind of clear up a little bit. The Giants may. Uh, sign a, a veteran linebacker. They may sign sure. a veteran edge rusher. They could sign a veteran offensive tackle. There's still a lot of things that can happen. But as the board sits today, the fact that we desperately need an offensive tackle, we desperately need an edge rusher. And with James Bradbury potentially going by the afternoon today, we're probably going to have a little bit of a need at cornerback. 
I just I don't know if I can bring myself to to invest a first round pick in, in a linebacker that is not going to get to the quarterback. Yeah, well, and this is the classic example, and we'll close out on this thought around that. As we say, we'll update when James Bradbury's situation resolves itself. Hopefully, it is on the move. And as Andy pointed out, man, if you have that fifth-round pick waiting in the wings from the Raiders, some fans were saying, it's like, oh, if it comes down to it, you cut him. No, there's going to be a team that wants him. There are teams out there that would much rather give up a, a lower-level asset to make sure they secure his services because if he went to the market free and clear, it would be a frenzy to bring him in. He is still a high-level cornerback in the league. He just doesn't fit our timeline and our system currently. So fifth-round pick in the back pocket. That's what Joe Shane's probably looking at right now and saying, we can try to cook this thing up a little bit higher if we can. But the, the process by which constructing this roster for Joe Shane, it's not a one-year deal, right? It's not a one-off-season strap-for-cash situation for Joe Shane. So looking at every position of need, looking at the value on the market and in the draft class and saying, hey, we have 12 holes. And by the way, we plugged three of them so far already. Two offensive linemen on the interior, a solid, legitimate backup quarterback who could start if we needed him to. Three checks. How do we check four more boxes here? Like, how do we check? Yeah, are, are we going to get to 12? Like, I don't know if he can get to 12 in no. one year. And to your point, like, this is a multi-year rebuild, like he has said. They're not going to be at, you know, at the end of the day, Adam, they're not going to be that team that is competing for a title this year where you can check a box. They're not one veteran free agent edge rusher away from being the NFC favorites. So to your point, maybe we just do need to build the talent up in the room wherever you can get it so that when we are ready to compete, then we say, okay, we have money on edge rusher. Let's go throw $15 million at the best edge rusher on the market because we've already freed up the linebacker by drafting him last year. Yeah, projecting out like that. That's what you have to do if you're Joe Shane. I hope that it, listen, we all hope that it works out perfectly and it is a Quonu and it is Thibodeau or, or Walker or, or, or Walker, but that, that you dress these two knees and you go, oh my God, we, we fixed the offensive line in one off season and we've brought in a guy to pair with Aziz Ojolari. That That's the dream scenario. But there's a lot of versions of this off season that are still big time successes for Joe Shane and the Giants. And that's where I think we all need to go, hey, show me what you're doing. Show me how it plugs in. Show me how it works. And just to the point on the linebackers, too. Remember, you still have a guy like Cam Brown. You still have Quincy Roche. These are edge-rushing, linebackering contributors on this roster. There is a bit of depth, young depth, on the roster there for the Giants to maybe play with. At edge rusher, it does seem like an empty chair. Wait in. I want to sit. That being the case, man, follow us over on YouTube where we're doing this thing all the time. We did a live episode the other day. We'll break down the offseason moves. This James Bradbury story is going to resolve itself sooner than later, so stay tuned for that. Get the podcast wherever you get those needs fulfilled. And as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and day throughout the offseason, demand that people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.